Well, good morning. It's really lovely to see you this morning, be with you. Um, My name's Chris. I'm the assistant pastor here at St. Paul's. It's really great to uh, have a chance to share with you some uh, reflections and thoughts on on the reading that Katie's just brought. But before we, we come to that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we... We celebrate today Jesus the King. In fact, Jesus, you've always been the King. You always will be the King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we pray this morning we might see you afresh as the King, but the King who laid down his life, that we might know eternal life and freedom. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts that we might know you and open our hearts that we might obey you in all things. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Um, My favorite week of the year, the most significant week in the Christian calendar. Well, we we begin this journey. Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem for a number of of, of months now. And at this point, he enters the city and and the week unfolds. It's almost as if in in Mark's gospel where we've we've been uh, journeying through together uh, for the last few months. It's almost as if um, Mark heads at a pace. He's, he's the gospel of action, really. What Jesus does again and again, we see kind of action-packed uh, stories. And at this point, it's almost as if Mark pulls on the brake and stops us. And, and, and then we get to journey slowly with Jesus into the week. Why? Because this is the week of weeks, the most important week in the whole of history. And we follow the journey of Jesus, beginning with his entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds welcoming the coming king, uh, crying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought this is the moment Jesus has come uh, to throw out the Romans, to, to bring the revolution that we've longed for. But Jesus, Jesus didn't come to do it in the way they expected. In fact, Jesus came knowing that he was heading to the cross heading to die, heading to lay down his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus also knew and told his disciples that the cross does not have the final word, that his death isn't the end, that that the resurrection, uh, the greatest victory the world has ever seen, would take place. And the words of that wonderful hymn, death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. And this week, there are so many opportunities for us to engage in that story of Jesus, to journey with him day by day uh, into Jerusalem, to the cross and from the grave. Mark has already said, we've got the 24-7 prayer room next door in the side chapel, uh, a space and a place for us to encounter Jesus the King. I'd really love to encourage us to sign up uh, to do that, to take time this week to reflect and meditate and pray Uh, to encounter Jesus, our King, our crucified one, the Savior of the world. We're going to decorate the room, create spaces and places, stations and and, and, uh, experiences that will help you to pray. You might feel like I could not possibly pray for five minutes, let alone for an hour. I promise you, an hour in that room will feel like five minutes. It will be the most incredible thing. Do come along. Do sign up this week uh, and join us as we pray. And on Friday, we have three hours at the cross from midday here at the church. Again, a time to immerse ourselves in what Jesus has done, in, in the story of the crucifixion. And Easter Sunday, we celebrate the grave is empty, 
The stone has rolled away. And really exciting, we're baptising seven people uh, in the, at the evening service, all of whom I get the privilege of sitting down last week. I sat down with each of them and, and heard their story of how they came to faith in Christ and why they want to be baptised. And it's just the most encouraging hour and a half I've had for so long. And so I really encourage you, there's going to be a packed church, a celebration in that evening, uh, of, of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus being worked out in changed lives. It's going to be the week of all weeks. Let's get stuck in and meet with Jesus in it. But today we find ourselves uh, um, nearly at the end of our time in Mark's gospel, but we, we come to the story of the Last Supper, um, where Jesus had his final meal with his closest followers, the disciples. I don't know if your life, if you can remember a significant meal, uh, a significant event marked by a meal maybe. Maybe a special birthday or a wedding. Uh, maybe a celebration for a new job uh, or a move. Um, you know, Christmas time. We're not at Christmas now. I made the mistake of saying that this Sunday was Christmas Day and someone didn't let me forget it. Being a vicar, I'm supposed to know these things. Uh, but um, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus around a meal, a big meal. And we celebrate with family uh, and friends. And to be honest, Christmas lunch, it's turkey, it's kind of all the trimmings, it's all very lovely and great, but it's not the most kind of created and cultured meal. Maybe it is in your family, and this isn't anything to say anything about my family who prepare this, uh, but it's, it's more than just what we eat, isn't it? It's about a celebration. Um, we had a fantastic meal at our wedding. I was married to Nell 12 and a half years ago. We had the most amazing meal. I have no idea what we ate. I, honestly, we were sat together this weekend. I said, love, can you remember what we had at our wedding, uh, uh, kind of the food at our reception? And she went, I have no idea. We were racking our brains. But that's not the point. The food was fantastic. It was great. And I could tell you who the caterers were and who was there. But the fact is we were celebrating, celebrating one of the most important days of our lives together. Um, I think a meal, a meal like that says something and does something with those who've taken part in it. In fact, I'd go further to say this, that um, sharing a meal with others to celebrate and remember a significant event is a God-ordained way where we grow in relationship with others, where we deepen our lives together. I think sharing a meal with others points to the hospitality of God. Um, that's why all through the Gospels, Jesus eats with people. What the uh, Jewish people at the time would have called that is table fellowship. And it's really significant. It's much more than just a dinner party. If you had shared your table with someone else, you were in effect saying, you are part of my family. And that's why when Jesus shared his table with prostitutes and tax collectors and Pharisees and all kind, a whole kind of uh, mess of different people, he's saying that all of these people are part of my family. All of these people I include in an intimate and close relationship with me. Um, a couple of times in the last month, um, our life group have spent time with the uh, Ealing Winter Night Shelter, an amazing ministry uh, to, to those who are sleeping, uh, sleeping rough and don't have a home for themselves. And part of the evening that we've spent is that we, we cook and prepare a meal that we share and uh, eat with those uh, guests who come. And again, it's much more than giving just something to eat. Uh, we serve and we sit down and share table, if you like, with those who've come. And the, and, and the night shelter clients are treated as guests by an amazing uh, team of volunteers and staff uh, who uh, make it happen. Eating together enables conversation to happen, um, not just about providing this hot meal, although that's really important and really a blessing for them. Last Thursday evening, I spent nearly two hours in conversation with a Polish guy called Peter. 
Um, we listened. I listened to him. We laughed together. Um, we had a long discussion about fishing. Now, some of you know that's something I love to do, and it's something that Peter loved to do. Peter could not understand why I didn't kill and eat everything I caught. This was absolutely... Um, so for a long time, we had this long discussion about how my way of fishing was definitely inferior to his way of fishing. And there's no way that he would eat anything in the canal either. We did agree on that, I guess. Definitely wouldn't eat anything from the canal. Anyway... But I learned about his life back in Poland. I learned that he's got two children and, and about his family, his struggles, his, his heartache in life. I learned about his passions. I learned about all kinds of things to do with his life. And I learned about how long he'd been here and what he did and what his job was. And we conversed for two hours. Do you know, I, I can just about remember on Thursday what I had to eat. But I won't ever forget the conversation that we had. Because eating together is more than just food. There's something significant about it. It's why at Alpha, we, the most significant part is, is sharing a meal together. It's why it's so important. Because we build relationships. We, we walk with one another. We do life together uh, on Alpha. We've had the most amazing Alpha course this term um, with new guests arriving each week. I'm not sure that's how Alpha's supposed to work, but it's been just the most wonderful experience. Um, last Wednesday, a, a new couple came. Uh, to Alpha. I'd met uh, them before really briefly when I'd picked up one of the other guests. In fact, the guest who brought them on Wednesday. And so we'd, we'd had a conversation before, but they weren't really keen to come to Alpha at that point. But it arrived this week. Um, I was speaking on healing, and I'd been praying before I came um, for God to speak and show me if there's anything he wanted to do. And I'd written down some things, some conditions, some injuries that I thought God might want to heal. And one of the things I'd written down was that someone would come with crushed fingers now, I knew everyone in the group, or I thought I did until this point, and, and I didn't think of anyone who, couldn't think of anyone who had an injury to their hand, but then this man walked in, and, and he had a, a cast around his fingers and around his hand, and, and I'd met him before, and he was, he was up for a bit of banter. He was, he was, he was quite engaged, and so I showed him on my iPad that I'd written this thing down, and he was quite intrigued as to how I knew that he was going to come with, because when I'd seen him before, he hadn't had the cast on his hand. So I spoke about healing, and, and, um, and then in the end I shared these, these words of knowledge, these prophetic words, and said, if anyone here wants to respond and would like us to pray for healing, we'd love to pray. And so I went over and prayed for uh, this guest, and, and he said that he didn't feel any pain, but what he'd done is he'd, he'd dislocated all his knuckles and mashed his hand, and it was not in a good place. And he said, I don't feel pain at the moment, except when I touch my little finger. And then this pain shoots up my arm, and it's agony. He said, I can't, I can't move it, I can't touch it, put any pressure on it. And I, I asked him if it would be okay to pray for his finger. So I prayed for him and, and just asked God to heal and spoke healing into, the, into his hand and arm. And within seconds, the pain had absolutely gone, didn't return. The look on his face was one of absolute amazement. He'd wandered into Alpha. He'd been kind of cajoled into it, really, by his friend. But he went around telling others, do you know, Jesus has healed me. Jesus has healed my hand. So I said to him, well, I'm praying that when you take the cast off, whenever it happens in the next time, that your hand will be totally made better. I don't think at this point he was listening. He still kept saying, Jesus just healed my finger. I can't feel any more pain. He was wiggling his finger like this and pushing his finger. I'm thinking, if, it, if the pain comes back, that's really going to hurt. I was worried for him. But, but thankfully, he had more faith than me, and he was still wiggling his finger. 
But, you know, it'd be really hard just to wander up to him and, and pray for him. But we'd sat down and eaten together and, and talked together. And he told me what, how he'd injured his hand. And he told me about his life and what he was hoping to do and why he was struggling to find work and all of these things. And we did that over a meal. Again, I can just about remember what I ate on Wednesday. But again, I'll never forget the fact that Jesus healed him. Because it's something significant about a meal. And we come to the story today, and, and the Passover is the big meal in, in this passage. It's the big theme in this passage. Um, many of the significant moments within the Jewish faith are celebrated with a meal, a meal that tells a story. Uh, this meal, the Passover, tells a story of God's intervention and salvation. It's the most significant festival and meal that the Jewish people celebrate in fact, many of the other festivals point to this festival, and the Passover itself points to the bigger story of the Exodus. Maybe you remember the story in, 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 in the book of Exodus. God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. He takes them through the wilderness, where they get the law and the Ten Commandments, and into the promised land. Passover reminds those eating of it and taking part in the meal of God's saving power. And it declares this, that even in times of persecution, captivity, that the people of God are the free people of God, that God has liberated his people. And for Jewish people, it pointed to the coming of the Messiah, that God one day would come again and set his people free. Passover is the theme, the banner headline over this, because Jesus is preparing this special Passover meal with his disciples, the most significant meal that his disciples uh, would have eaten with Jesus. And they ate a lot together. And at the center of the meal was the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And when in the story, the blood of the lamb was put on a doorpost. So the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites. Didn't, and he spared them. Whereas for the Egyptians, they, the, the firstborn in every Egyptian family was killed. As a judgment of what the, Israel, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians had done. But at this Passover meal, we have a different lamb present. Jesus turns the Passover meal and points it all at himself. He no longer points back to this wonderful event. He points to himself. We know John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is using this meal to tell a new story, to point to himself. Not just that God saved once in the past, but that God in Jesus is saving the world and bringing it back to himself. But I find it fascinating, in the middle of this celebration meal, which they would have, would have celebrated every year, which they would have known really well, suddenly Jesus announces this incredible betrayal and tragedy. Judas appears in the middle of this story. While they're celebrating the meal, Jesus takes a break and points out that one of them, Judas, will betray him. And I spent some of this week wondering, why did Jesus choose to do that? Why did Jesus suddenly point Judas out? He didn't name him. But he said to the disciples, one of you will betray me. And I think there are two things that Jesus is saying in that. The first thing is this, God loves his enemies. Jesus didn't just die for those who were committed to him. He died for us all. He's the Passover lamb for us all. Jesus knows the deepest and darkest parts of our heart. He knew Judas and Judas's heart. And he is utterly committed to redeeming and transforming anyone and everyone. If Jesus will eat this meal with Judas, this meal, the most significant Passover meal that's ever been, he will eat it with us. If he will sit and have table, say to Judas, you're in my family, he will do it with us. 
because he longs for that a relationship with us. He longs for us to know him. He longs to change the ending to our story. I believe he longed to change the ending to Judas's story. I think there was grace enough for Judas, just as there was grace enough for Peter, who also denied his Lord. I think there was grace enough for Judas, but Judas never turned back. The second thing is, is that we celebrate this meal remembering Jesus' death on the cross in a broken world, in the midst of brokenness and betrayal and heartache. We recognize ourselves in Judas. If we're honest, we see ourselves fickle and unsure, doubting and sinful, frail, broken. And we remember that in that, Jesus still forgives and saves and restores. We remember that we're to be reconciled to God and others. In the midst of a broken world amongst a broken people, we celebrate Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, given for the world. So Jesus takes this Passover meal and transforms it into a new meal. The Christian meal that we call Holy Communion or Mass or the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper. So he takes the two elements of bread and of wine and again takes this part of the Passover and points to himself. This bread is my body broken for you. Not our bread of affliction as they would have said in the Passover meal. This isn't our bread, this is my body broken for you. Represents food for the spiritually hungry. Matthew says in his, in the, what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, um, blessed are the hung, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you'll be filled. Blessed are those who, are, who know that they're torn apart and broken. Blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He takes the bread and he breaks it, symbolizing that he will be broken on the cross. And then Jesus takes the wine and at Passover there are four cups that are drunk. And Jesus, it seems like he takes the third one. But the four cups were these. Um, the first one uh, remembered the rescue in Egypt. The second one celebrated freedom from slavery. The third one reminded them that God's redemptive power was incredible. And the fourth one spoke of a renewed relationship with God. Jesus took one cup, one cup to represent all of them. He said, all four of those cups are fulfilled in me. All four of those cups are fulfilled in me. Firstly, we can be rescued from captivity. Jesus came to set the captives free. Wonderful to hear Derek's story. Jesus came to set the captives free. He's always done it and he always will. Secondly, we're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Our identity is changed by Jesus and his death on the cross. Thirdly, that Jesus would die once and for all for sin. We no longer sacrifice because there has been one true sacrifice. And now we can enter, the relationship, enter a relationship with God because of Jesus' death as the Lamb of God. So how does that work today? That's a lot of information. That's a lot of uh, kind of stuff about the Passover and what Jesus did and, and how it was symbolized and what it represented. But what about for me? What about for you? What about for us today? There are three things I want to say to finish. The first is this. Jesus said, take it. This is my body broken for you. Take the bread. This is my blood shed for you. Take the cup. We have to take what Jesus has done for us to participate, to join in. It's a meal where we take part. There's an action required by us if we're to have a relationship with Jesus. Taking the bread and wine says this is the real food that we need. This is the meal that matters above every meal. 
that we get forgiveness and freedom, that we participate in the death of Jesus. So the first thing is we're to take it. Do we need to take it again this morning? Do we need to re-enter into that relationship with Jesus? Maybe for some of us, for the first time, we've never trusted in Jesus. We've never uh, begun that kind of relationship where we follow him. And maybe this morning we want to participate. We want to join uh, in the family meal. And the second thing is is that we do it together. Uh, We are a community. The Christian church is a community, a family that comes together to share in this story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Communion is the thing that brings us together because we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all like the first disciples sat around the table, broken and imperfect, but invited by Jesus. Even the enemies of God are welcomed and invited to become friends because of what Jesus has done. We do it together. The early church actually had communion as part of their fellowship meal. Um, It became a separate service a little bit later on, but they would eat together first and then they would share this new meal, this communion meal together. That's why it's so important for us to eat with others. That's why it's so important to share table, to share food with our friends and our family. That's why it's important. That's why we do it. It's why it's part of culture, of life. In every culture, food and eating together, uh, it matters. You know, we can do it in our life groups. We can share food together and it will deepen relationships. We can do it uh, with our neighbours and we'll get to know them better. We can do it with those at work and go out for lunch with them because we'll grow and experience life together. We're not made to follow Jesus on our own. We need community. And I think community is almost best expressed around the table with food together. And the third thing is that the meal anticipates the future. This meal points to something more incredible than we can imagine. Bread and wine, two of the most simple things we can think of. But it points to the final redemption of the whole of creation. It says that this life isn't it, that greater things are yet to come. The earth transformed, the resurrection of the dead and life in all its fullness. It's a meal that celebrates the coming of the kingdom of God, but it's a meal that celebrates it in the midst of trouble. It's saying that we know the kingdom has come in Jesus, but we know that one day it will come in its fullness. And as C.S. Lewis said so marvelously, that, that we live now in the shadowlands. Even though this is a wonderful thing, we, have, we enjoy color and goodness and, and love and mercy and grace and all these things, one day we will have no idea. We have no idea of the goodness that's to come, the, the wonder that's to come, that the earth will be renewed, that the, uh, the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It's a meal that inspires hope and faith in the midst of trouble. And maybe for some of us, we've lost that future hope. We've lost that sense of their re- eternal life is not just pie in the sky when we die. It's not just sitting on a cloud with playing a harp that, that kind of greeting cards have made it into. It's something more incredible, more just beautiful, more uh, awesome than we could possibly imagine. There aren't enough superlatives to describe what that life will be where we will be more human than we can imagine. That simple meal of bread and wine points to the future hope that we have in Christ. I think God this morning wants to restore hope in some of us. I think God this morning wants to remind us that we're a family, that we're a community. And I think God this morning wants to invite some of us to take it, to eat, to drink. He invites us into that relationship. He extends an invitation for us to sit and eat with him. And that relationship, as we sit and eat with him, as we enter into communion with Jesus and with others, it brings freedom, forgiveness, and hope. 
Why don't we pray together? Let's stand.